0: Are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: Today on the Buck Sexton Show, we are going to talk about the Mueller probe expanding to include Trump's personal lawyer. They seized his documents from his home residence, plus the possibility of a Trump strike against Syria because of the chemical weapons attack, banning knives. That's thinking about in the UK, also banning bump stocks. That's under consideration as well. We'll talk about that and more coming up.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission, our mission, is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Russian. One small family. Make no mistake.
2: America, ready. Your great, you're a great American. Again,
0: the Buck Sexton Show begins.
2: Activate. Former CIA analyst, former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton.
1: It is Buck Sexton now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Great to have you. Very much appreciate you hanging out. If you want to call in, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. we got breaking news for you. Uh, You have a sense of what we're going to be talking about on the show today, because I just gave it to you. But the FBI has raided the office of uh, President Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen. They have seized documents reportedly related to the Stormy Daniels situation uh, and... The special counsel had referred the case to the U.S. attorney in New York City. Now, this is significant. This is showing us exactly what the plan has been, what the game has been for the left all along here. The anti-Trump, deep state, left-wing media and government leave-behinds. They are hoping to go after Trump well beyond the scope of a Russia collusion investigation they're hoping to go after president trump in any way that they can and that means an ever-expanding investigation looking for everything and anything anyone can be a target anyone can be a subject anyone including the president of the united states personal lawyer can have his home raided by the fbi that is what happened here how can anyone see this and 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 read these stories and not think that the fix is in against this administration, that the Mueller probe is now a rogue elephant trampling justice left and right. Do we really think they're going to find anything of particular note here? Might be really useful stuff for the anti-Trump government officials out there who have been willing to leak illegally in the past to have access to. They might just like knowing what Trump's communications with his lawyer. Think about if they did this to you. Just stop for a moment. Imagine that you had been involved in, uh, this might be kind of a fun thought, experiment. imagine you've been involved in a lot of high-profile international deals and you have complex legal arrangements and situations going on for decades and the special counsel that has been on your tail with Javert-like zeal it's a lay Miz reference for those of you who are into lay Miz and that kind of thing. Monsieur Javert, da, da, I can't, but you know what I mean. I would have gone on, but it's early in the show. If this were third hour, I probably would have busted into the confrontation. 83501, you know, or whatever he's. I forget the guy's, you know, the whole thing. Back to the Mueller special counsel probe. So they're going after all the Trump stuff, they're going after all of Trump's people. And. Think for a moment about what this would be like for you. Put yourself in the president's shoes. You have a lawyer that has now had all of his personal documents. I'm assuming Cohen has probably handled cases that don't just involve Trump, too. Now this is all in the hands of the FBI. They What this has turned into, and maybe this will really put it into a context that's helpful, is that the special counsel is like an endless, open-ended, IRS audit of Trump and all of his associates just looking for whatever they can get them on. And those of you who know anything about the tax code know if the IRS really wants to get you, they're going to get you. And Mueller has already proven this. You have people who are facing prison time for minor mistruths, perhaps were even victims of their own Poor recollections, memory lapses, but for minor issues are facing federal felonies. We were told that this was about making sure that Russia would never again threaten our democracy. All the grandiose, grandstanding, whiny garbage. Hillary lost. Boo hoo. They won't let it go. They won't let it go. I certainly hope they're going to try to run Hillary again, by the way. I'm here. She'll come back. She'll do it. If they gave her an opening, she would do it. But what are we to make of the special counsel going after Trump's personal lawyer? This is police state stuff. And this is also something where you look at uh, the complicity of other parts of the DOJ. And it's very interesting, isn't it? The FBI has gone after Michael Cohen's personal files and correspondence. And this is the the... the lawyer that that is the the single most important legal figure in, in the current president of the united states life and they, they're just you know going in there and taking stuff like it's nothing like it's nothing yeah we want in we're gonna take it all and you wonder how could the jurisdiction of the special counsel have been so expanded according to fox news here a spokesman for the special counsel but why does the special counsel have a have a spokesman Kind of weird, isn't it? Aren't they just doing an invest? The do, do they have a, a, a spokesperson assigned for every high profile case the FBI does? No, usually there's one FBI office or DOJ office of uh, public affairs. You, get, you got like a, it's almost like a propaganda minister here for the special counsel, you know, someone out there to do some spinning. And that spokesperson for the special counsel here referred Fox News to. The Code of Federal Regulations, Title 28, Section 604, additional jurisdiction. Quote, if in the course of his or her investigation, the special counsel concludes that additional jurisdiction beyond that specified in his or her original jurisdiction is necessary in order to fully investigate and resolve the matters assigned or to investigate new matters that come to light in the court of his or her investigation, he or she shall consult with the attorney general who will determine whether to include the additional matters within the special counsel's jurisdiction or assign them elsewhere. So, uh, yeah, the elsewhere here would be the Southern District of New York, which is where this would have, that that's the jurisdiction we're talking about. Michael Cohen's office is here where I am in New York City. But did the attorney general sign off on this? Did, did Rod Rosenstein say, yeah, go for it. Grab Mueller's personal communications having to do with the stormy Daniel's fiasco, as we're being told right now, I mean, this uh, on CNN, the the main banner says FBI raids office of Trump's lawyer seizes documents related to porn star after Russia special counsel refers case to U.S. attorney in New York City. Referred what case? What the heck is going on here? How are we supposed to sit back and think that this is anything other than a complete and utter hit job? On the president. D- does Stormy, D- does anyone think that Stormy Daniels and Michael Cohen and the allegations against Trump have anything to do with Russia, the election and collusion whatsoever? Well, the answer is clearly no. And to people who say, oh, buck," but, you know, it's, uh, illegal activity is illegal activity. You know, you got to just, you got to just back off this one, man. I got to let, let the special counsel do his job. I know about this because I've sat in the room before. I've heard the discussions. When law enforcement decides that they're going to get someone, if they have the resources and the inclination, they at a minimum can ruin a person's life. An innocent person, if they really want to get you, they can do it. What I keep saying, I I think not enough Americans who are not Trump supporters understand what's really at stake here. They keep talking about how Trump hurts our institutions, he undermines them. There is nothing that Trump has done or could do that is undermining our faith in institutions more than the weaponization of the Department of Justice against a sitting president for the most obvious and petty political reasons, and that is happening right now. They're not going to get anything that's going to change your mind about anything out of, out of going— but they're sending a message. They'll go after Cohen. They'll go after anyone. I, you know, when does Mueller have to actually show something for all this other than ruining people through the punishment or through the process of the investigation? And as I say, the process is the punishment, right? That's when do we get to see something beyond that? When do we get some proof that this investigation is not just a giant Sour grapes, sore loser, whiny backlash to Hillary—the worst candidate in my lifetime for the uh, Democrat nomination for president. When when do we realize that it's not just that? They give us some information that makes us think, "Wow, okay, this is really worthwhile." Oh yeah, they—they indicted some Russian trolls. Wow, that's really going to make us feel safe at night. That's great. These people play dirty. You've got to remember this. They will do anything. They do not care. Trump derangement syndrome is real and it extends all the way up to the top of academia, media and the government itself. The bureaucracy has leave behinds from and some of them are careerists. I understand that, but they are true dyed in the wool progressives. They are woke. They are social justice bureaucrats. And they want to take this president down. Sally Yates was one. Go down the whole, all these different people involved at the DOJ, McCabe and Comey and the whole squad and the people who I would note leaked information about Trump to try to take down his presidency as well. They were willing to break the law, commit. These are government servants who commit felonies because they think that. They're doing some great service. I, I, who knows what's even in their heads when they're doing this? Who knows? Um, this is this is just way too far. Someone needs to shut this thing down. I know people say Trump can't do it and, and Rosenstein won't do it, but. I, I, we've I've run out of patience with this. The special counsel is not about protecting us. It's not about finding the truth. It's about payback against Trump were depriving a lot of people who think they're really important from what they thought was their destiny. A Hillary presidency, Clinton 2.0, eight years of it. All the wonderful stuff they think would have come along with that. And Mueller is just on the loose. He's got nothing. There's been nothing that he has found that makes me think for one second any of the underlying allegations for all this are true. How can we trust the Department of Justice after this, after James Comey stood before the American people in an act that no one can say is normal or acceptable, took the prerogative of the attorney general and said there would be no charges against the soon to be president, they believed. And now this, how much more are we supposed to handle? How many more? Clear efforts at destroying this presidency can emerge from within what's supposed to be the Justice Department. Because of the media, because of their childishness, their complete and utter lack of character and ethics. When is enough enough? I would like to think that seizing the records including privileged records attorney attorney client privilege now means nothing just like how in the obama administration sources and journalists oh yeah whatever it's obama who cares his doj can go after whoever it wants now we see that they can go after attorney client privilege in the in the trump era as long as it serves the purposes of the left it does not matter what they throw on the bonfire in the process that's what they're trying to do here It is a complete and utter disgrace. It really is. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about today. Syria, uh, the possibility of the president. And, you know, I'm going to I'm going to dig deep into that one because I think I have a different take on it than you're seeing for most of the rest of the of the media. Uh, I'm not I'm not in the having spent some time in these places and been around those who actually have to have to fight and be the ones who have to execute policy in the war zones. Uh, this notion of who can go on TV and talk the toughest about Assad, I find it tiresome. And I'll explain why, but you got to stay with me. I'll be right back.
0: James Comey was testifying before Congress, I think it was June of last year, and he noted that you had asked him to call the Clinton probe a matter, not an investigation, but he said it it made him feel, I'm paraphrasing, it made him feel strange. He he noted it. What did you mean when you said, let's call it a matter and not an investigation?
3: Well, you know, I I heard about that testimony. I didn't watch it at the time, uh, but it it was brought to my attention later, and and people were raising it with me, and my first response was, what, you know, what, where, what is the issue here? And this was a very sensitive investigation, as, as everyone knew. Um, And the issue when he and I sat down at that time, which I I think was early in the fall of 2015, um, was whether or not we were ready as a department to confirm an investigation going on when we typically do not confirm or deny investigations
1: into anything. Babble. Total and complete babble from the former attorney general. Uh, Not answering the question, evasive nonsense, right? Lester Holt could, by the way, Push quite a bit more there. That's the NBC, NBC, right? Or ABC, NBC, whatever. Uh, Guy took over for uh, Brian. There I was karate chopping Bin Laden Williams. Uh, And Lester Holtz asked the question. She doesn't answer it. We just kind of let it go. But notice Loretta Lynch did her job for the Obama administration, did her job for the Democrat Party. That's what was important to them. Didn't matter that she profaned the office of attorney general that she had by being so wildly political in and at every key key point of the Hillary investigation, the whole tarmac meeting with Bill Clinton. Does anyone want to defend this? Do any of the glorified uh, glorified catalog models over on the on the CNN side of things want to have a debate as to whether it was OK to have that tarmac meeting? That's how the Democrats play the game, though. Lies, obfuscation, you know, and, and everything. Some, somehow it's just made to go away. On the when when Republicans are at issue, though, you have what you have today, where you got the breaking news that Cohen, the uh, the Trump lawyer, has had his communications with Donald Trump seized. What is the point of attorney-client privilege if the special counsel can send the FBI swooping in to literally seize all of your lawyer's records? Oh, oh that's right I'm, we're gonna we're gonna trust that a judge will clean this up afterwards My, the, the, this is it's amazing isn't it the irony here is that the left has been whining and bleeding for months about or for over a year now 18, going on 18 months for how Trump is destroying the system undermining the system and what they are doing right now people who are paying attention and who know what the heck is going on will never be able to trust. The department of justice to handle any politically sensitive matter going forward period i know that i i know that i won't i don't and think about what this does now how can you not think if you're a prominent conservative prominent republican targeted by the doj targeted by the irs that it's politically motivated look at what's happening here look at the treatment hillary got look at the treatment trump is getting what could be more obvious Attorney-client privilege now means nothing. Well, 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 you know what's next? Are they going to seize, seize, uh, you know, Trump's psychiatrist files or something? I mean, not not that he sees their shrink, but if he did, that's fine. But I'm just saying, nothing is sacred. They're gonna they're gonna bug when Trump goes into confession to his priest. You know, we got to find out about Russia collusion and blah, blah, blah. this is just pathetic. This is a witch hunt on steroids, and it is pulling the country apart. And it has to stop, folks. We need to shut it down. We have to shut this thing down.
0: He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back.
1: So President Trump was meeting tonight with his uh, top officials to talk about the response to Syria, which we will discuss here on the show in just a few moments. Uh, but I, I we will play for you his statement that he just made moments ago on the seizure of his per, of his communications with his lawyer. I guess attorney-client privilege is meaningless in this insane era of get Trump at all costs. I would note that there are you know analysts, Democrat analysts on the other side, who seem to report with glee that oh gosh he's they're going they're looking at trump on, on obstruction and campaign finance now that's the latest is that the the uh, investigation the reason that michael cohen trump's lawyer is getting pulled into this is because there may be some campaign finance issue that they're looking at this is what i meant by this isn't this is a massive irs audit under the auspices of the department of justice But imagine if the IRS couldn't just look at you for financial impropriety, any crime they want. They can demand all your records. They can demand all your phone calls, all your everything. Anyone you've talked to becomes a subject. Anyone who tries to stand up for you is likely to become a target. That's what the President of the United States is going through right now. I feel like who's got his back at this point? If all these officials around and people with power and authority to do something and they're all just you know they're all just trying to cover for themselves it feels like not a lot of not a lot of stalwarts manning the barricades on the trump side it's disappointing and the the situation of the doj look i know sessions has recused himself so he's out of it but there there's got to be someone over there who sees this for what it is um there has been more damage done more damage done to the sense of a nonpartisan, based in law, not based in political prejudice, Department of Justice, more damage done to that in the last 18 months than, than in my lifetime. Uh, this, is, this is completely unacceptable what's going on here. And by the way, the president just spoke moments ago. I want to play you a, 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 a his reaction to what just happened is lawyers, personal files have been seized in a Dawn FBI raid in New York City. How this could have anything to do with Russia collusion is anyone's guess. I'm almost positive it doesn't. They're looking at Stormy Daniels, Michael Cohen payoff money situation. And who the heck cares? They'll violate attorney-client privilege for that? They'll just break down the sanctity of being able to have legal counsel and entrust that person with, you know, the system is premised upon... All sides respecting the rules, not just defendants, not just suspects, not just people caught up in investigations, prosecutors too. Here's what Trump had to say about it just moments ago at the White House.
2: But you'll figure that out. All I can say is after looking for a long period of time, not even before the special counsel, because it really started just about from the time I won the nomination. And uh, you look at what took place and what happened, and it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. I've been president now for what seems like a lengthy period of time. We've done a fantastic job. We've uh, beaten ISIS. We have just about 100 percent of the caliphate or the land. Uh, Our economy is incredible. The stock market dropped a lot today as soon as they heard the noise of, you know, this nonsense that's going on. It dropped a lot, it was up, way up, and then it dropped quite a bit at the end, a lot. Uh, But that we have to go through that, we've had that hanging over us now from the very, very beginning, and yet the other side, they don't even bother looking. And the other side is where there are crimes, and those crimes are obvious. Lies under oath all over the place, Emails that are knocked out, that are acid washed and deleted. Nobody's ever seen 33,000 emails are deleted after getting a subpoena for Congress. And nobody bothers looking at that and many, many other things. So I just think it's uh, a disgrace that a thing like this can happen.
1: This is partisan trench warfare. So unfortunately, you got to pick a side. I'm in the trench next to the president on this one. This is completely out of control. Michael Cohen was cooperating with the special counsel, had turned over thousands of pages of documents already, had testified, had, he had already spoken to them. Now they're going into his, his home, or his, I'm sorry, his office in this case, and seizing his files? What judge signed off on this? And under what auspices? Looking for what? Now, just take this for a moment and do not forget this. This is important. In the entire time that we were looking at Hillary Clinton during the email investigation, which, if you remember in the reporting, it wasn't just that she had some maybe a little bit classified stuff. She had highly classified information that she was transferring between unclassified servers or her own private server you know the the emails were unclassified the whole thing some of them marked classified despite all of her lies to the contrary but that's very serious that's not did someone give someone money before an election that maybe could be unethical or could be a violation of federal campaign law that would require a fine that's what we're talking about with Stormy Daniels no one's going to prison for the Stormy Daniels thing no one cares it doesn't matter it matters a lot to The anti-Trump left, but it doesn't matter in terms of life and what really is important. During the entire Hillary exposing classified information fiasco, which she was guilty of, and we know it, did they ever, did they ever go and seize the records of Hillary's communications with any of her lawyers, any of her counsel? You know what the answer is. W- would that have been useful? She had tried to obstruct. As, as President Trump just pointed out, she tried to destroy the emails. She tried to literally destroy the, the hard drives. I mean, that's like a neon flashing sign. Oh, my gosh, they've got me. I'm I've been doing criminal stuff. I'm destroying the friggin' hard drives. And so. What are we to make of this? DOJ couldn't figure out, you know, with Comey and Loretta Lynch, no hardball tactics against Hillary Clinton for actually breaking the law on matters that that are important to national security. I mean, there were reports that she had special access program data in these personal emails. That's crazy, my friends. That is completely and utterly, inexplicably reckless. But, you know, no no need to seize any she's she's letting classified information fly around people go to prison for that for one time doing that she's letting it fly around on service on her "Ah, i'm above the law the whole thing did we ever see any tactics like this the entire time that hillary's under investigation no not even in the universe of this we saw comey and lynch and others doing the equivalent of sitting down for tea with hillary and her buddies like oh (laughs) isn't this Sorry about this troubling email investigation. We'll make it all go away and we'll laugh about this when you're in the White House one day. That's what they did. How are we supposed to see this situation any differently? Then a complete and utter debacle. The hypocrisy here is outrageous. The disparate treatment between what a Democrat gets, who is a very important figure in the Democrat Party, versus what a Republican president gets, there's no defense here. There's no real. Deb- There's no good faith debate to be had at this point. The fix is in against Trump, and the fix was in favor of Hillary. I mean, what we're just supposed to sit here and and continue to be uh, flummoxed and flustered and, and angry? I suppose. You know, I guess that's what's that's what the answer that's offered up here up uh, here is. Trump said it was a disgraceful situation, an attack on our country. Is absolutely true. Do you think Mueller is going to ever you know, give any any exoneration statement about the president? No, of course not. Do you think there'll ever be a sense that some of this was unnecessary or that this was... By the way, there are people being put through a real stress here. And I don't mean they're like, oh, they're having a rough day. I mean, they're worried that their, their livelihoods may be done. And they're, they bankrupted General Flynn. Thanks for your 30 years in the United States military. Thanks for being an elite military officer, commander of men in battlefields. But, you know, we, we got to bankrupt you now. Ruin your life. Because Hillary didn't win. Sorry. Other people, too. Right, This lawyer that just got sent for 30 days, he's never going to practice law again, my friends. He's done. For what? I mean, Manafort's facing 300 years in prison. Are, are this some kind of banana republic? Are we a joke? Is our Department of Justice, is our justice system, when politics are involved, actually a joke? That is an open question. And one that I would not want to I would not want to be forced to answer that right now because it would, as an American, make me feel pretty sad. But this is what they're forcing us into. This is what the other side has done. Do we really think they're going to get anything? What could they find in in these communications between the president? and Oh, and and what are we supposed to do when some of it leaks, As, as I'm sure inevitably it will? Oh, you know, it just kind of happens. What a great it's you know, we learned that they abused the FISA process in a search to get damaging stuff on Trump and his top people. We already know that, which is just a complete violation of the trust that is given to the intelligence community. My my former community, we know they did that. And now it seems like they're abusing the criminal justice procedure. In order to also get access to sensitive information that won't matter in a criminal prosecution, but it's going to be really juicy stuff to leak to the Washington Post when the time comes. And when we say, well, this was what they were doing along, this is so unfair, this is so dirty, it's so wrong, it's unethical. They'll say, well, got to get Trump. Get Trump at all costs. I'm really worried. I think that there is is nothing that the anti-Trump opposition won't do. In order to take down this president at this point, there is no institution they are unwilling to pollute. There is no dirty trick they will not pull. They will risk prison. They will lie, cheat and steal. And we're left to think that in the end of this, we just walk away if Trump isn't impeached. We just walk away if they don't try to bring criminal charges against the sitting president of the United States. We're not going to forget about this. 844-900-2825. 844 900 2825. If you want to talk, let's let's chat about it. I, I've got to talk to you about Syria. I know I've been holding off on it, but we just had this breaking news and this is uh this is a real low. This is a real low for the for our Department of Justice. For my friends who work there, by the way, I'm sorry, guys and gals. This is a bad day for you. It's a very, very bad day for that institution. It's like Attorney General on the tarmac meeting with the husband of the soon-to-be Democrat President of the United States. But, oops, no, she's not. It's that level bad. We'll be right back. We are lit here in the hut. Lots of uh, phone calls coming in, so I want to get to them right away. And uh, for everyone who's going to get on air here in a second, just... I want to hear from you, but we also got to keep it tight because I think we got every line every line simultaneously lit here in the hut. Uh, let's get uh, Sandra in Boston. Hey, Sandra.
3: Hi, Buck. Can you hear me?
1: Yep, we can all hear you.
3: Okay. Uh, here's what I think. This has just gone way too far, and here in Boston, we are in the 250th anniversary of the occupation of Boston, so I'm thinking lots of thoughts about the revolution and studying up on it and everything. Anyway, uh, I think Robert Mueller is covering up for himself. He was in, undoubtedly involved in the Benghazi cover-up. He was probably sitting in on the meeting with Leon Panetta uh, and the group on the night of Benghazi. And I also am very concerned about his role in the Boston Marathon bombing in terms of not really going after the Tsarnaevs uh, when they had already been involved in some nefarious activities what do you think of that
1: um i i can't speak to anything about not going out we're talking about we're talking about Mueller here you, you lost me Sandra. i'm not gonna lie i don't know what you're talking about with the sarnia brothers and what does Mueller have to do with any of that
3: he was the director of the fbi and there were three decapitations on september 11th in walsam And it is widely believed that Cameron Tsarnaev was involved, and he wasn't investigated. So,
1: well, I mean, but that's there's a lot of things that happen in the country that the FBI director doesn't know about or wouldn't have any. Uh, Sandra, not to not to be rude, but I I can't I can't deal with all the different pieces thrown in here at once right now because I got to get other calls. But I have no idea what she's talking about with that. And I mean that that's not like dismissive as much as it's I don't know what she's talking about. Um, So I'll I'll leave it there. Let's focus on what's going on now and not let's keep some of the conspiracy stuff a little bit to a minimum if we can Dustin in North Carolina. Hey, Dustin.
0: Hey, Buck. You're a great American. I sure appreciate you. And I'll keep it as briefly as well, I think uh, you're a great possible. American
1: and you got some time. Go for it.
0: Well, here's my, I have watched over the past 25 or 30 years since I was a young man as American politicians have continued to uh, thumb their nose at the American people. I think Obamacare was a great example. I think it was like something like 72% of the American people did not want Obamacare, and yet they voted it into law anyway, basically saying, screw you, we don't care what you think, we're going to do this anyway. Uh, Here's what I think. I think they are going to keep going. They are not going to stop until they find some pretense, something they can uh, even just pretend is a legitimate reason to impeach Donald Trump, And I think they're going to, uh, I think they have a good chance of pulling it off because not only will all the Democrats support it, but I think, unfortunately, we will see a large number of corrupt Republicans support it, uh, whatever they can.
1: Republicans do, elected Republicans uh, do excel in the area of political cowardice. (laughs) So that would not surprise me, Dustin. Thanks for calling in from North Carolina. I I agree with your premise. Uh, Let's get to Lewis, also in North Carolina. Hey, Lewis.
0: Hey Buck. Hey, you're a great American. I appreciate you. Oh, you much. too, sir. And listen, Buck. I'm just so mad. I just cannot believe that Comey's got the cojones to do what he's done today. It just pisses me off, and I am just so upset to no end. I just can't believe it.
1: Yeah, Mueller has transgressed. I mean, there's no question. It's it's fascinating. I just saw the whole. The whole uh, Get Trump chorus on CNN in the break there for a second to see. And they're saying Trump's not above the law. I keep wanting to say above the law. He's below the law. They're going after him in a way they wouldn't go after even a normal American. This is crazy. Lewis, thank you for calling in, man. That's the point, folks. They've created a a team to get Trump. That's not normal. That's not the way they're supposed to go. They're not even investigating a crime. They're just trying to take down the president. He's not above the law. The President of the United States, because the Democrats are after him, is below the law right now.
0: He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never
2: stops. I'd like to begin by condemning the The heinous attack attack on on innocent Syrians with banned chemical weapons it was an atrocious attack it was horrible you don't see things like that as bad as the news is around the world you just don't see those images we are studying that situation extremely closely we are meeting with our military and everybody else and we'll be making some major decisions over the next 24 to 48 hours capable of striking Assad's chemical weapons facilities? Now the first thing we have to look at is why are chemical weapons still
0: being used at all when Russia was the framework guarantor of removing all the chemical weapons. And so working with our allies and partners
2: uh, from NATO to Qatar and elsewhere we are going to address this issue. Can you rule out taking action launching airstrikes against Assad, Mr Secretary? I don't rule out anything
1: right now. Trump administration considering military action against Syria after a chemical weapons attack killed dozens of civilians in a suburb east of Damascus, Syria's capital. Uh, you, you heard there President Trump, Commander-in-Chief, and General Mattis discussing the, the, the issue and the possible response to it. I would note that we were told, if you recall that there was a process in place to rid Syria of all chemical weapons. In fact, the Obama administration was quite proud of itself for that whole framework.
3: Right. The one thing I want to remind everybody of having been part of the negotiation to get chemical weapons out of Syria is that it was the threat of real force Mm -hmm. that got Russia to come to the negotiating table and try to find a solution. We should hold their feet to the fire. They were part of that. We should take the action that we find necessary in this instance once we get the intelligence and maybe we'll get to a political diplomatic solution here because as we both have said, there is no military solution and people are suffering which yeah. is what we can so that's the
1: undersecretary of state under the obama administration who uh, thought that the chemical weapons process that we had in place uh w- was a good idea that that was working meanwhile they've used chemical weapons dozens of times against civilians so i, I don't know how much more chemical weapon usage they think would have happened if they hadn't put that obama john kerry framework in place but obviously didn't do very much obviously didn't save a whole lot of lives but know, i have a a uh, different opinion than you'll hear from a lot of mainstream uh, conservative networks right now. I think that uh, I break with the, well, I'm not sure I break with the administration. I think Trump largely understands the problems here. And I think that the president, I wrote about this today, by the way, on thehill.com if you want to check it out. I said, look, the president's got a, he's got a loose-canned approach to things. And in this case, that may be a good thing because no one really knows how he's going to react or what he's going to do. But we're not about to get into another rebuilding Middle Eastern country situation. Should not do it. Cannot do it. Terrible idea. And we don't want to be in a position where we make this situation for ourselves worse in Syria than it currently is. People would say, oh, Buck, a year ago, Trump fired off a bunch of missiles in response to a chemical weapons attack just like this. And I say, yeah, didn't stop anything. Within a few hours, it was reported Assad's airfields were back up and running. Now you say, well, Buck, what if they go with something bigger this time? I say, well, that's a, that's a risk we should not be willing to take under the circumstances. Because we have U.S. troops in Syria right now. We don't talk about it much. There's not a lot of reporting on it, but we know we do. It's a different situation if you target the regime when there are U.S. ground forces in play. If, if we hit Assad hard... Do we really want to see what it's like if all of a sudden the Assad regime goes after? They know where our troops are. They know where our people are. What if they decide they're going to exact some revenge? You say, well, Buck, we could pummel Assad. Yeah, we could. Do we want that? Really think about it. Do we want to take out Assad? You break it, you buy it. We want to be in charge of Syria. People listening to this current and former military, I don't want you out there being told under orders you're, you know, marching the streets of eastern Syria, some town, you know, marching in in Hama or Homs or Aleppo or wherever, trying to keep that country together. We've done enough of that. You've done enough of that. And thank you for your service, by the way. But this is not our problem. And we can't make it our problem. And if we decapitate or destabilize the Assad regime, it could all of a sudden be a situation that falls in the president's lap, and now we've got our men and women trying to hold that vortex of bloodshed and hate together. Just not a good idea. It's not our fight. We shouldn't make it our fight. People are very upset about chemical weapons usage. I understand that. But it's really easy to pound your chest and say, yeah, go get them. Hold the side accountable. Does anybody really think that dropping some dropping some bombs or sending some Some cruise missiles at Assad's airfields is holding him accountable. How so? Yeah, it's a gesture. It makes us feel good. It shows that we draw lines and we stand up to evil. Okay, it's not going to change anything. Got over half a million people dead in the Syrian civil war. ISIS very much diminished, not entirely gone. President Trump understands we need to pull out. We need to leave. We can't stay there forever. We just can't do it. We're already in a semi-permanent position in Iraq right next door. People say, oh, Buck, well, ISIS will come back in the vacuum. Or we're just going to keep extending U.S. military indefinitely in Afghanistan, Iraq, then Syria. Then, you know, it's one thing to extend U.S. military presence in Germany and South Korea. You know, Our troops there serve a purpose, but they're also not engaged in constant counterinsurgency warfare. I think it's very easy right you know, you Lindsey Graham, for example. Here's a perfect example of, of what what we should not be thinking and what we should not be saying.
3: Now he is a legitimate uh, war criminal in the eyes of the international community. And that Assad side in his inner circle should be considered war criminals, uh, uh, legitimate military targets. If you have the opportunity to take him out, you should. You should ground his Air Force. You should destroy his Air take Force. Take out Assad. Okay, uh,
1: Lindsey Graham, by the way, fancies himself a foreign policy savant. Says really dumb things about foreign policy on a regular basis. And that was one of them. Take out Assad. What's what's the what's the game plan after that? We're going to what we're going to turn to our Kurdish allies who have been doing a majority of the fighting against the Islamic State and who have been chased all the way across Syria by the Turks recently, our NATO ally. We didn't do a damn thing about it. Who are we going to turn to and say, okay, well, you're you're going to run things now. You're in charge. Does he really think taking out Assad doesn't that's going to what that's going to crumble the Alawite regime? They've been holding out for years against ISIS, against Jabhat al-Nusra, against uh, the Free Syrian Army, against Kurdish fighters. That's a solution? That's idiocy. Masquerading as a solution. The biggest single point of our Syria situation right now has to be this. We cannot make this our problem. We cannot send our men and women over there to fix this country There are unspeakable atrocities, horrific things have been going on for years. Hundreds of thousands of people have been killed. People have been mutilated, uh, raped, murdered in front of their families. It is unspeakable. I have been to the Syrian refugee camps in Jordan. I've spoken to people about what's happened to their own families. I have seen the pain in their eyes. I get it. But this can't be our fight again. This can't be our fight the way that we can't continue to just try to prop up Afghanistan, try to prop up Iraq. We do what we can from the outside. We take limited, measurable risk. And if we want to do a measurable response, that's one thing, but nothing more. We'll be right back.
3: I don't know what they're talking about. Um, I, I find it offensive, appalling that they will deem us, two black women, um, Two black chicks down with politics as being unsafe. Uh We're not a menace to society. We're not hoodlums. We don't sell drugs. We don't, you know, we don't don't lay out in the streets. That's right. And so I don't know where Facebook is coming from. I think this is a deprivation of our character. This is clearly discrimination. Mm -hmm. And this is also a violation of our civil rights is what I'm looking at here. They don't want us to be heard because basically an election is coming up. President Trump won this election by the people, we the people, through social media. And whenever they found out that's how he won it, that's why they're shutting down conservative voices, people that is pro-Trump.
1: Facebook is messing with the wrong ladies. That's uh, Diamond and Silk, you just heard from there. I've uh, actually met them a few times before. Uh, they are uh, lovely and charming and kind. They're, they're very, very nice. Uh, very, very nice ladies and very successful. Their videos are wildly popular on YouTube, and they're just doing political commentary. They are literally setting up videos where they're like, hey, this is what we think about things, and they talk. And Facebook, now they're reconsidering the decision because they realize, uh-oh, we got a problem here. Facebook deemed their page, their content, unsafe for the community. I- I've, been, I've been warning about this for a long time, and now it's finally coming to fruition. I think people used to think, because I've been talking to this stretching back for years. People just think, oh, Buck, you're just a hater because you're not you're not somebody who does a thousand tweets a day and 15 Facebook lives a day. And I'm like, you know, God bless whoever wants to spend all their time doing that. You know, I, I think some degree of social media is uh, is good the same way that, you know, if I write an article for a publication, I'm going to write one, maybe two a week. That's it. I'm not writing eight things a day because they're not going to be worthwhile. if There's eight a day. I'm somebody who still believes in. Quality over quantity in this content business we're in. And I think social media has just opened the floodgates to bah, 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 look at me. I'm eating a sandwich. Look at me. I'm out taking my dog for a walk. Look at me. Look, it's just crazy, right? But putting that aside for a moment, I've been telling you, those of you who listen to this show, that this is the new way that the left is going to have information dominance going forward. The progressive, ideologically aligned censorship of the major social media platforms. They can't compete. Why do you think they get so upset on campuses whenever a conservative shows up? Yeah, I know they've been brainwashed and they're snowflakes and all that other stuff, but they also know at some other level they can't really compete with a lot of their ideas. They're self-contradictory, they're nonsense. So they need advantages. They need the advantage of a safe space, a coddling campus around them. They need the advantage of having... 90 percent plus of journalists all come and get issues from uh, the same perspective of of center left to far left, because otherwise the whole House of Cards would start to fall down. So the best single way that they can restore their ability to have a much larger megaphone than the other side is through social media platform dominance. They really only have to control uh, Google. Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and YouTube, which is what owned by Google. Right. Or is, yeah. Owned by Google. They really only have to control those in order to control the next generation's political ideas, attitudes. And and they know this. And I have been telling you that this is coming. And now it is finally it is finally here. Uh, and it, it's a, a reminder that, you know, we can't be complacent if we're going to be. We being conservatives in this country, if we're going to fight for ideas that really matter, it doesn't stop. We, we've never won. We just have the momentum. You have to keep pushing for the truth and holding. Uh, holding the left accountable as much as possible for all of the nonsense that's going on these days. But with, with Facebook, I mean, this you're going to see more of this They're They're banning conservatives, banning conservative content, censoring it. Who even knows what's happening with the Facebook feeds? We have no idea how how is someone like me going to see what the reality of Facebook sharing is for any one of my posts? I just see the numbers that Facebook gives me. They say, oh, well, the best content wins out, you know, video content does really well. We've heard all these things. Hmm. Here's something else that I'll put out there. I I think that there's been a built in advantage for the progressive left, especially on platforms like Twitter, which I know very few of you are on. Um, But it's been a way of people using a political advantage to make it seem like their ideas are more favorable and more prominent than they actually are i think the algorithm favors progressive content there there you go i'll say it i think that you're more likely to have a big reach and lots of shares and because half the country i mean someone explain this to me half the country is conservative and yet if you see uh the activity on twitter You'll notice very clearly that there's a left wing. There's a left wing advantage all the time. So this is something we have to take on and, and fight. Now I, I know Zuckerberg is out there doing his thing right now. Larry Kudlow, Larry, I like it. Larry getting a little getting a little cheeky today with uh, Zuckerberg and his oh so perfect hoodie that he wears all the time. Hit it.
0: Mark Zuckerberg goes to the Hill this yeah. week to testify. Yeah. Does the administration feel that Facebook
2: should be regulated? Is he going to wear a suit and tie and <laughs> clean white <laughs> shirt? No, no, no clue. That's right? my it's biggest question. You. You do, know, do you think Facebook is he going to be? behave like an adult
0: as a major corporate leader, or give me this phony baloney? What is it? Hoodies and dungarees and what's that kind of stuff? So you, you don't think you don't think much of, of Mark Zuckerberg? Take it? I think I could help him clean up his act.
1: Good low. With the with the get off my lawn award for the week, maybe the month with that one. Like, I, I I agree. There's a there's a certain pretense to the whole like yeah, like I just wear a hoodie and sneakers everywhere all the time thing, right? It's like if you're going if you're going to the like I think he will wear a suit. By the way, I think it's a little too much to have him show up there in uh, in his Facebook garb. I, I saw a uh, suggestion from Ann Coulter that I, I really liked. Uh, where she said that we should, they should have the Winklevoss twins show up and ask some questions <laughs> at the Facebook hearing. And it's very funny, uh, which would be great. People always forget that. Now, yeah, Mark Zuckerberg, genius, but also you've seen the social network. Some of that stuff is pretty, from what I understand, is pretty accurate, as in it was like, you know, you got to leave some friends in the dirt, you got to leave them in the dust, got to leave honor and integrity behind. Hey, there's billions of dollars at stake. So no big surprise there. Oh, you also have the uh, Sher- Cheryl Sandberg. I see has been making the rounds, and it's funny because she's always promoted as this interview that's really important and powerful. And then I watch the interviews with Cheryl Sandberg. I'm like, this is the most boring. I- I- I'd rather I'd rather watch local news where they just do like a live feed of the you know steelworkers union 101 or something arguing with the city council about some benefits package. Like it's that level of boring. But here's what Cheryl Sandberg said about whether Facebook will actually sell your data for
3: let's be clear we do not sell people's data we don't do it for ads we don't do it for any other reason we also don't give your data to any advertisers we have an advertising based business model and i think that's really important just like tv just like radio people can use this for free all around the world and if you're trying to connect two billion people using it for free is really important access to the content We have privacy built into our ads model. So the way it works is that someone wants to show an ad to fit on Facebook. We can show it to the people who might be interested in it. And then we do not pass individual information back to that advertiser. And it's really important that people understand that.
1: So Facebook is saying they're doing this because they get to protect your privacy. Here's something, folks. They also want to continue to be the middleman that makes all the decisions about who's seeing what, when, how, and where. They want to maintain their advantage and authority and uh, lucrative positioning in this whole process so don't think that this is for your i know you know this right you don't need me to tell you to be cynical you listen to the show you're already up on what's what but don't think that you're getting the honest scoop from these facebook executives about what's really going on here there's censorship there's political shenanigans and oh yeah there's all kinds of privacy intrusion going on We are going to talk about banning knives and bump stocks after the break. Stay with me. He's holding the line for America.
0: Buck Sexton is back.
1: Violence on the rise in the city of London. I mentioned this to you recently, team, about how London is now more violent in terms of uh, homicides, and I'd I'd be willing to bet per capita violent crime too, but definitely in terms of homicides, uh, than New York City is for the first time in recorded modern history. And people might be saying, hold on a second, Buck, but the UK has such strict laws about guns, and we've had Piers Morgan, who's been just, you know, telling us what to do about our our silly Second Amendment, and why is he always just weighing in on that conversation and we're kind of like you know what we got our own stuff to handle over here but apparently they've got their own stuff to handle over there they got a whole bunch of knife attacks going on we don't really have that much in the way of details why is this happening why are people getting stabbed and killed all over london dozens and dozens of them right and keep in mind you know a stabbing is that that's uh you know pulling out a gun is a terrible thing to do shoot someone but but stabbing someone to death is, you got to really make that choice, right? That's not, a, that's not a spur of the moment like, oh, this will be easy decision. That is brutal. That is clinical. That's rough. Uh, so what's the answer to this? Sure enough, what does the left propose, or I should say London, Mayor Sadiq Khan, what do you think should be done? Oh, that's right. Start restricting knives. You, you can't make this stuff up, folks. Start restricting knives. The mayor of London put out a tweet over the weekend. I mentioned to you, I think it was last week, that in the UK they started to restrict certain online sales of, of types of knives. And the mayor of London put this out over this past weekend. No excuses. There is never a reason to carry a knife. Anyone who does will be caught and they will feel the full force of the law. Now, that's just a really dumb thing to write. To say to share for a number of reasons. First of all, I know a lot of people that carry knives, and at different points in my life, I've carried a knife. So I would like to know, yeah, when I was like overseas, you know, that's I was carrying other things, not just knives, but I carried knives too. I'm just saying, I've carried knives, and I went, you know, when I lived in D.C., I I occasionally, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I don't know if it was like always legal or not, you know. Don't want to get myself into trouble here, but you know, knives. It's a good thing to have on you, and some people are just kind of fond of knives. But there's a whole bunch of reasons that people have them, and yet in the UK, they're actually trying to now limit and restrict the knives that you, the knives that you can have. The knives, hey, enough for the knives. The knives. Uh, here's what Sadiq Khan, according to the government of London, is doing to tackle violent crime. Boosting police power, blah, blah. Yeah, more cops. We know. That's what they always want to do. Fine. Preventing future violence. This is from their official site in London, folks. Uh, the mayor's working to bring in more safer schools officers to help drive down knife crime in schools. Uh, okay. But here's the other. Then they get into action plans underway. One of them is a London equivalent of stop and frisk. I thought social justice warriors hated stop and frisk. It's so mean. It's so racist. It's so nasty. It doesn't help. We had stop and frisk here in New York. And there were, oh, there are all these big protests. And how could you? How could you? So? It's terrible. Stop and frisk. And now in the UK, they're doing stop and search, which is basically the same thing. Right? So here we are. Instead of uh, our version of it, there will be their version of it. And you have to, you have to think and just pause for a moment. How is this supposed to really do anything? Knives are are ubiquitous. Even in the UK, I'm willing to bet. Sharp, pointy things, very tough to prevent people from being able to get them. Very difficult to say, you know what? I'm going to prevent you from getting anything that has a a sharp edge that you could use to harm someone. But you see this effort sometimes. Box cutters for a while. Oh, I mean, after 9-11, people were... You know, box cutters were like might as well have been pocket nuclear weapons. People were very worried about whether you had a box cutter on you. And they realized, I don't think that restricting box cutter sales is really going to make all that much a difference. Right? What, what's next? Straight razors next? Probably. New York City, I would note, I, I'm not sure what the knife laws are wherever you are, but in New York, I can tell you that I have, I have had the conversation with coll- former colleagues of mine in the NYPD. What are the knife laws here? And they know what they are, but they're not really sure how they are how they are going to be applied. Uh, technically, I think in New York, if you have a knife on you that is longer than three and a half inches and can be opened with one hand, you can be arrested. They also tell you that if a knife is showing in your pocket, so if the clip, you know, most people have these uh, flip, flip knives, right? I don't think you need a switchblade per se, but. Then you get into this whole question about what do you, who decides what is need. But anyway, most people have you know, a gravity knife or a flip knife. And if you have the clip and it sticks or you know, the clip on part of it and it shows in your pocket, then supposedly it's no longer a concealed weapon in New York. But you're also walking around letting everyone know you got a knife, hoping that the cops aren't going to stop you and be like, hey, why do you have a knife? And you can see how this just plays out over and over again. We are reaching out to some folks in the city of London and in the U.K. to see if we can get a better sense. Because here's my analysis of this. There's something going on in London that the authorities don't want to talk about. I don't know what it is yet. I got some ideas, but I don't know what it is yet. They would rather just pretend that this is a, a surge of violent stabbings that have no, uh, that are not, they're not in any way tied to or a response to any government policy. Of any kind. And, and I'm not going to put it. I haven't yet found evidence to present you. That would make the case one way or the other. About what that would be. But I just know that. There's something going on here. And they're hoping that people don't start to figure out. What's really happening. Who's committing these stabbings. Is there anything that. Are there any similar traits. Any similar uh, profiles. Of the people that are committing the stabbings. We start to look at. That aspect of the discussion, and I'm sure we'll find some things that Mayor C.D. Khan is like, let's not focus on that. Let's talk about greater police presence in our schools. Why would London become more violent now? Much of the rest of the world, at least the developed world, is going through a process of de-escalating violence. A big spike in, in, remember, violent crime in London. And they have no... No answer as to why this is happening. No explanation for it. You know that there are politicians running scared here. You know that there's something going on. Don't even get me started. There's also acid attacks going on there. There's, remember, there's a spate of acid attacks, among, among the most horrific things imaginable. Uh, so they've got problems. You know, they often look over here at us from Europe, and they pretend like they've got it all figured out when it comes to dealing with uh, violent crime. And, oh, no. London's got issues, but knife banning. Usually we bring this up in the context of, what are you going to do, ban knives? In a kind of sarcastic way. In London, they're thinking about it. Oh, wait, I got more for you, though. Bump stock. Speaking of bans, we'll hit that right after the break. There's a problem with bans. They sound good in practice to some people. I mean, not to me, but to some people. Oh, we've got a problem. What do we do? Well, let's ban something. Right? You try to ban drugs because you think that you're more likely to have a society that can hold together and won't have the the pestilence of of addiction in, at quite the same in quite the same way. But as we know, it's very difficult and not really all that successful. Banning. What has been legal, however, is even harder. It's one thing to say, "Well, we're going to escalate the penalty for this already illegal thing." Or we're going to. The problem you face with bans of legally owned weapons, when you change into a ban era, what are you willing to do in order to enforce that? I take you to the latest in uh, in this series: the bump stock ban. Now. Uh, there's a proposal out there, as you know, in the aftermath of the Las Vegas shooting, where the shooter in Las Vegas used a bump stock uh, to fire 1,100 rounds in 10 minutes. He killed 58 people, injured 422. A horrific event back on August August, 1, I mean no, October 1st, on the Las Vegas Strip. People said, "Well, we got to ban bump stocks now." And my response to that was kind of, "Our, I mean." who really you know who cares fine ban bump stocks that's really going to somehow create a, a an environment of good faith for further discussion about how to prevent mass shootings i, I don't really i'm not going to follow my sword for a bump stock so to speak right it doesn't really strike me as all that important but now now we actually have to look at well, what does it mean if you ban these things at the federal level make it a federal felony to be in possession of a bump stock uh, Wall Street Journal did some analysis on this over the weekend, and here's what they found out. That, one, the ATF-E, Gotta throw explosives in there, too, uh, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, explosives, they have no real idea of who owns bump stocks. So, there's, so you start with that. There's no pre-existing bump stock registry. And that makes a couple things hard. One, you really can't enforce or you can't expect to be able to enforce this ban through anything other than voluntary compliance and fear. And then two, they don't even know how many people have bump stocks. They don't even know. They think it's about 250,000, but it could be as many as about half a million. 500,000 of these firearm accessories already in circulation, or or, or owners. I mean, I'm assuming maybe they have more than one, who knows, but 500,000 of these in, in circulation. That's a lot. That's a lot. Do we think that people are going to all hand them over? They're going to turn them in, say, here's my bump stock. I have a feeling, having spent a lot of time with a lot of lifetime gun owners in my life and just being around people who are Second Amendment proponents, I have a feeling that there's going to be a little bit of a uh, Molon Labe vibe with bump stocks. And that people are going to challenge the federal government to do something about it. Now, that also can mean that there are gonna be some folks, they call it deterrence prosecution, right? Or they you know making an making an example, it's a much simpler way of saying it. There'll be some folks who end up getting hit with a federal felony charge because of their possession of a bump stock. Which is certainly going to be troubling for some people, right? I mean, first of all, federal felony this is very bad. You don't want that. Because now you're talking about basically taking a plea deal and possession is an easy crime for the federal government to prove you know there are some things where you can mount a realistic defense or at least you have some leverage in a plea negotiation with possession you got it it's on you you have it you're done <laughs> it's and i know this i've got friends who are federal prosecutors i'll tell you if you got it it's on you it's illegal you're you're in a rough spot and so there are going to be some people that if this becomes in fact the law you're going to see people that are risking real prison time uh, or in jeopardy of real prison time for their possession of something that keep in mind, they bought entirely legally in good faith. And I don't know, I don't believe that there's any uh, program in place. I don't even know what we have any, what does a bump stock even cost? I have no idea. This is not a firearm accessory that I have any familiarity with whatsoever. Uh, I, I had heard about them. Some YouTube enthusiasts who are, you know, gun Gun guys on, on the Internet, I know, were big into bump stocks. But other than that, I was not really aware of it. But this is a program of, of uh, well, I was going to say voluntary confiscation. It's not voluntary. It's under threat of law. Uh, but they're not even doing a buyback from one another. They're not talking about doing a buyback. So the government is now seizing your property, if you are a bump stock owner, because of a political convulsion that happened after a mass shooting that you if you're listening and you happen to be a bump stock owner or no one had nothing to do with do we think that this is really going to prevent any mass shootings in the future no so i i will admit this i think uh i i see that this is now a problem that in the initial phase of this i was like well you know who really cares? bump stocks who really cares well someone's going to care when someone's facing, you know, five to ten in federal penitentiary because of their lawfully purchased firearm accessory that has been made unlawful, they're going to care a whole lot. And you can say, Buck, it's up to them to turn it in. All right, fine. But we're creating we're creating problems here, my friends. This is not straightforward. This is not, e- not easy. I-, I mentioned, I think, uh, a few weeks ago, Cal- uh, not California. <laughs> we talk about California a lot. Connecticut. Connecticut has a voluntary assault weapons i keep saying voluntary is the wrong word mandatory assault weapons registration uh in place so if you have if you had this came after sandy hook right if you have a an assault rifle and please you don't have to write me i I know there's no such thing as an assault rifle i'm just it's they've codified it into law. It's the term they use and it applies. Trust me, you'll know what an assault rifle is if the state of Connecticut tries to put you in prison for 10 years for having one. OK, so and saying there's no such thing as an assault rifle, it's not going to work. So that's put, put that aside for just a moment. They have had a as of a few years ago, I think they had uh, about 50,000 people voluntarily register their so-called assault uh, assault weapons in the state of Connecticut. But that means that they estimate that in Connecticut, not exactly like Wyatt Earp country, you know, not exactly a place where, oh, I say, are we going to finish croquet and perhaps take the AR out for a spin? You know, it's not really a place you think of as being a lot of a lot of gun owners. Though I know, for the Connecticut folks listening, you know, I'm not trying to start anything. I'm just saying I got a lot of trouble for making fun of New Jersey at the Greg Gutfeld show, so I have been chastened. Not by the folks on the show, but afterwards, the emails. Hey, you know what, Jersey? I respect your love of your problematic state. I respect it. I'll say that. Uh, But back to Connecticut, the the uh, authorities there think that there are about a half a million of assault rifles in circulation in that state that uh, have not been registered. And it's a class D felony in Connecticut. Is anyone really going to feel good? I mean, will law enforcement officers feel good about coming into someone's home who's had had an AR for 20 years and is a sport shooter and keeps it for home defense and, and they are going to arrest this person, make him a felon because of what the Connecticut legislature decided to do in response to political events? I think you see a pattern here. This is what keeps happening. Banning things is not as easy a step when you start to work out the steps as it is to just say it right. Oh, we're going to ban that thing. Okay, how are you going to enforce that? Are you going to enforce it? If you're not, then you're just wasting everyone's time. And if you are, you're talking about possibly sending otherwise law abiding, patriotic citizens to prison, ruining their lives on a legislative whim, which is really what's going on here. So the UK is looking to ban some knives or knife transfers or whatever it is and in the U.S. we're banning bump stocks it looks like and it's kind of a waste of everyone's time it might actually have some really bad consequences so I wanted to revisit that oh the Simpsons social justice warriors are coming after the Simpsons we stand with Homer and Marge more on that coming up
0: He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops.
1: Welcome to hour three of the Buck Sexton show, my friends, The Simpsons. For many of you, it is a timeless classic. I haven't seen all of the episodes by any stretch, but I've watched a lot over the years. I think it's fair to say that it is probably America's all time favorite cartoon. It has been on the air for decades. But as we see and this is a continuation of my thesis that social justice warriors refuse to allow anything to be funny, The Simpsons has now come into the sights of the progressive, or should I say regressive, left that is trying to destroy comedy at every possible turn. Specifically, the character of Apu, who is an Indian-American uh, Convenience store owner. For those of you not familiar with Apu's character from The Simpsons, here's a quick sampling.
0: Was the cause of the Civil War? Actually, there were numerous
1: causes. Aside from the obvious schism between abolitionists and anti-abolitionists, economic factors, both domestic and international, played a hey, significant. Hey, yeah, just just say slavery. Slavery, it is, sir.
2: Yes, I am a citizen. Now, which way to the welfare office? What? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I work. I work.
1: Now, what you may have gathered from that is that uh, Apu, who is one of the longstanding characters on the show, has an accent that is a a caricature of an Indian, English-speaking accent, right? India being South Asia in this case and not Native American, which we know now you only refer to it as Native American, but I digress. But Apu is actually a beloved character. And he is insightful and witty, but he shares some of the uh, caricatures of Indian-Americans in terms of accent, the fact that he owns a convenience store, and some of his uh, social commentary along the way. But Apu is beloved. He is not mocked. It's not punching down. He has always been treated as a character on the show as funny but also someone you like and respect and who brings something to the table now you can contrast that with the way the little german schoolboy is is depicted in the show and how he's treated
3: german boy go back to germania ah! i do not deserve this i've come here legally as an exchange student
0: young man the only thing we exchange for you is our national dignity
1: <laughs> the only thing we traded for you is our dignity But I came here legally as a little immigrant, and I just want to eat the chocolate bars all the time. Guten Tag. Now, even I can do that accent, right? I can joke around about the German exchange student, and we should be very clear about why that is. I could also, for you right now, do a very good impression of a poo. But we know that I can't do that, because I might get in trouble for it, even if I were laughing with and not at Apu and his family. Remember, it's a fictional character we're talking about here. The social justice left would be outraged. And for a while, I had thought that The Simpsons would be able to stay above the politically correct fray. But sure enough, in the past year or so, Apu has come under as as a character the assault of the social justice left because they don't allow anything to be funny. This has even resulted in a documentary called The Problem with Apu, where a number of uh, South Asian actors or South Asian American actors are asked, what do they think? And unsurprisingly, they think that Apu is racist. It's it's uh, reinforcing stereotypes. They have a very negative view of this longtime beloved Simpsons character, who I should note is voiced by Hank Azaria who is white, and therefore that's an even bigger problem, right? So it's not even just that the character is a caricature, but notice the similarities between those words, character, caricature. Uh, but on top of that, you have a non-South Asian actor who's doing the voice work here. So that makes it an even bigger problem, even more racist in their eyes. And this past Sunday, the story got some attention again because the Simpsons decided to hit back. In a scene where Marge, the mother in The Simpsons, is reading to Lisa, their precocious teenage daughter, there is an issue where Marge is supposed to rename the girl in the story as a cisgender female or something along those lines. Lisa then turns to a photo next to her bed of a poo and says the following.
3: Well, what am I supposed to do?
0: It's hard to say. Something that started decades ago and was applauded and inoffensive is now politically incorrect. What can you do?
1: Ah, you could say that Lisa Simpson is clapping back, to borrow from the parlance of the kids these days. This is a shot across the bow at the social justice warriors who, once again, view everything through the lens of intersectionality. But this is a really big problem. I mean, I've been telling you for a while that their goal here is not just to attack politically incorrect comedy. The real goal of the left in America today is to destroy all comedy that does not serve their political ends. It's not really possible for something to be funny now unless it is an outright mockery of Trump, white males and Christians. Those are the only safe targets left. Once you break it down in those terms, you start to see that what's really going on here is the left using victimology as its primary point in the argument is trying to transfer power away from what it views as the class of privilege, whites, Christians and males who are white and Christian to those who fall into the victimology hierarchy of the left. Non white people, females, transgendered individuals, uh, foreigners, etc., etc. But one thing I would note about the so called woke progressive left, they are a humorless bunch. They really are. They don't allow things to just be funny, and they are obsessed in a way that really is reminiscent of the early communists, the early Soviets, with every word and every term. They make No allowances whatsoever for good faith. In fact, they view any misuse of terminology as an opportunity to exert power. This is why you've got people on the left who are calling for firings and feel good about themselves, even when they know that they are doing so in a hypocritical fashion and it is often in a dishonest manner in order to try and destroy their political enemies. I mean, no serious human being could think that Laura Ingram should have had her show canceled or even should have been suspended for speaking out in a way that I wouldn't have, but not in any sort of deeply offensive national tragedy kind of way to David Hogg. Uh, But the left wanted her show off the air. The left organized a boycott very rapidly. Now, you could say, Buck, that's a political show. It's a political space. It's rough stuff. If you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. But my response to that is, We don't have many kitchens left, folks. If The Simpsons can come under attack, if The Simpsons is too hot for TV, where are we going to see satire? Where are we going to see political commentary through the lens of comedy that isn't just a constant assault on exactly what I was talking about? If you turn on any of the so-called mainstream political comedy shows these days, The Daily Show, The Samantha Bee, Crap Lousy Fest, whatever it's called. Uh, Colbert Kimmel, who got smacked around on Twitter by Hannity this past weekend. Thank you, Sean. If you see these political commentary folks, though, they all take the same point of view. Not only are they unfunny, but they're not even original. It's just like all one big echo chamber of repeating the same tired crap from each other. And I would just note, I take particular irritation at the you can't do accents thing why can't i do accents i can understand if it was intended to really humiliate or put down someone but the intent of comedy is essential for example I i can understand and i would agree with and support anyone who condemned mockery of the disabled because it is punching down and it's mean and it's nasty and you're laughing at and not with but accents in any capacity, you know, what if I wanted to do an impression of a billionaire Indian businessman just for the purpose of making jokes? Is that punching down? Because he's worth billions of dollars more than me. is in a much better place in his life in terms of the power structure. But I can't do his accent because I'm white. What we see here is that there are different rules based upon different ethnicities. Minority comedians can come up with any number of ways to mock and imitate so-called white voices or white tones of voice. And I have no problem with that. But I would just note that as a white guy now, I am very aware of the fact that I am only allowed to do accents that are associated with other white guys. So that means Americans, Western Europeans, Australians. That's about it look, I just don't want to play the left's games anymore with this. I'm sick of all of the changing and completely absurd rules. And I start to feel more and more like the only way that this really gets better is when we either as a society agree to stop taking offense and that feels further and further away with each passing day or we create platforms that are pirate ships uh, where you can have free and open discussion and not be worried about Google demonetizing you on YouTube or Facebook demonetizing or deplatforming you. I have seen this wave of social justice deplatforming coming for a long time. And now I have to say, I don't know who is going to be safe from it, not even just on the right, but for those who try to push boundaries and speak the truth. The truth is often unpopular, my friends, as you know. But when The Simpsons comes under assault, when a cultural icon that for decades has been bringing families together, making people laugh, and shedding a lot of light on what's going on in this country, when The Simpsons isn't safe, none of us are. I'm out of here, man. And that the left doesn't see that they are undermining the very freedoms that they use to make their own living in the area of media or comedy is just utterly disgraceful. So I stand with The Simpsons, you could say. And I look forward to the day, if it ever comes, when I can do my own ethnic impressions on a show and not worry about losing my job. We're going to hit a quick break. Your team will be right back. Let's talk about James Comey for a few minutes shall we i know you're all like boo buck boo don't do it no no comey but there's a great piece in a national review by the formidable jim garrity called comey the celebrity that has pulled together some uh, former fbi officials for the purpose of making the case that i've been making you all along and that is that comey is in fact a grandstander that he might have had some people fooled when he was at the FBI, and I'll get into that in a second, but the reality is that he is a very self-important fellow who is willing to throw away whatever is left of his reputation as America's last honest cop uh, in order to try and even the score with President Trump. And I just take note of this for a second because, you know... On the notion of 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 CNN and these other networks, for a long time they were saying how everyone at the FBI has such a a positive view of Comey and thinks that he's so great and everybody really wants, uh, Comey, you know, to to be the the next, uh, I don't know, you know, the the Attorney General, I don't know, whatever whatever it was, right? They were saying that Comey was the last honest guy. I'm just telling you along. The truth is that the day-to-day of the directors of the agencies doesn't really cross over with the rank-and-file. So whenever you see these people who go on TV who are all like, oh, the rank-and-file really love this person, they're just making that crap up. Who knows? There's no polling. I don't have any real idea. I remember when I was in the agency, when I was at CIA, you know, Panetta came down one time and had lunch in the cafeteria. And everybody was like, oh, there's Panetta. Oh, look at that. You know? It was kind of like uh one of the one of the tigers got out of the cage at the zoo or something. It was more like a curiosity than, oh, oh, look at that. Oh, interesting. Nobody really cared. Didn't affect us. The day-to-day of the job had nothing to do with the director. And so look, some people get snowed. They get conned. They get uh tricked into caring about what the director of their agency. Uh, says or, or thinks at any given time uh, not understanding that it really is for the for in most cases many cases it's all about the individual right it's about their legacy it's about how they're running things you know it's the day-to-day is run by the the quiet professionals people that have been doing it for decades not the people that get appointed or have senior political connections they're playing a different game they're involved in different stuff. And with Comey, sure enough, we're seeing that is the case. And now other people have come over to my side of the equation. Now, I never worked for Comey. I never worked at the FBI, but I'm familiar with how this goes. Right. All you need is one reporter from The Washington Post to talk to someone at either the CIA or talk to somebody at the FBI who says, yeah, this director is really well liked." that. <gasps> the rank and file really support. With Comey, I'm like, this guy's kind of a lanky, self-important weirdo. I I just don't believe that your run-of-the-mill FBI agent cared all that much about this guy and also had, uh, if they did have opinions, I have a hard time believing. They thought he was so great. So here's what Garrity writes in this article. When President Trump suddenly fired FBI Director James Comey in May 2017, quite a few retired bureau officials eagerly defended Comey's record as director And denounced Trump's abrupt, seemingly self serving decision. But some of those same FBI, retired FBI agents, are now turned off by the pugnacious, high profile persona of the former director as he prepares to launch the book tour for his autobiography, A Higher Loyalty, Truth, Lies, and Leadership. In 25 years at the FBI, James Galliano handled a wide variety of duties, criminal investigator, undercover agent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He's currently an adjunct professor at St. John's and a CNN contributor. Back in 2017, when Comey was preparing to testify before the Senate, Galliano said, quote, nobody's going to question Comey's honor and his character, and said he was disgusted with the way that Trump treated the former director. Now, Galliano says he was uh, really more of a mild fan of Comey, But has been unhappy with the former director's decision to venture into the public eye, writing a tell all book and promoting it on a highly visible press tour. This current effort to meet the president in the public square at his own game of mudslinging and punching and contributing smugness to the debate. It's a bad look, Galliano says. I think it's going to diminish the FBI and I think it's going to diminish whatever's left of Comey's reputation. Oh, and there's more, by the way, there's more and more. Um, People that at one time were very public in their defense of Comey, who are former FBI and have now realized they, they got taken. They just, you know, either through a sense of loyalty to the organization or whatever, or maybe a sense of personal loyalty to Comey, they stood up for this guy. But now we see it. And I want you all to remember this. He is a political infighter and a guy who really thinks he's amazing and really important and likes to be turning the wheels of history himself and is not to be trusted and is not credible on any issues dealing with this president whatsoever. He has a vendetta. Comey wants to be President Trump's nemesis. Do not let the media brush that aside and do not forget it, no matter what comes out in the weeks and months ahead. All right, quick break. We come back. Chappaquiddick, the movie. A little follow-up to that. And also, I, Tanya, the movie. I got some thoughts for you. Stay with me.
0: He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back.
1: So I had movie night with Miss Molly on Friday, which means that I'm actually willing to sit in one place, put my phone away, no looking at the phone, it's an important role for me, and watch a movie in full. Generally these days I have neither the time, nor the attention span, nor the inclination to watch a full two-hour-long film. But I checked out I, Tanya on Friday, and I have to tell you, while it was too long, it was pretty well done. The Tanya Harding story is an amazing one, a sad one, and also crazy, and I forgot most of it. You know, I was a young kid when all that happened, and it, hap- it came about before the OJ trial But it had some of the similar dynamics of media coverage. You just had the beginnings of the 24-7 news cycle with the Tanya Harding case. And for a while there, Tanya Harding was among the most famous people in the world in terms of uh, being recognized and, and name recognition. Because of a plot that involved individuals who were comically inept, deluded, and... Just completely bizarre. So I think that it was, a, it was a good movie. It was about 30 minutes too long, which is often my complaint. I, I really don't want to sit for more than two hours. And usually I only want to sit for 90 minutes for a movie. And I know people can say I'm some kind of Cretan for this. Maybe I feel kind of bad saying that. Because, you know, I spent a summer in Crete, the island off of Greece. And that is, in fact, the basis for this term that people use, Cretan. It's synonymous with you know, backwards barbarian. So maybe I've just committed a microaggression of sorts. But I can recommend I, Tanya* to you. Much better movie than, say, The Shape of Water, which I'm still a little haunted by in a whole bunch of ways. But I also wanted to follow up just for a couple of minutes here. We talked about the show, Ch- I mean, the uh, movie Chappaquiddick on Friday. And another. it's a good film. A little slow, a little long, but overall it's well done. And you come away from it thinking... How the heck was this guy, Teddy Kennedy, able to not just keep his sentence seat and avoid any jail time whatsoever for allowing a young woman that he was responsible for driving the vehicle, allowing a young woman to suffocate to death in the back of a vehicle in three feet of water, folks? This was not a rushing, frozen river that no one could reasonably be expected to do anything once the accident had happened. Teddy Kennedy just panicked and left her there. And I think the movie makes it pretty clear. Now, there are still people who cling to the fiction of the necessity of the Kennedy dynasty for American politics. We need men from Boston and the surrounding area with side parts to run for office. And sure enough, there are those in the media who have mobilized to attack to attack this movie uh, and also to try to find a way to explain how the Democrats were not grotesque and completely complicit in terms of the media and the Democrat political apparatus in covering for Teddy Kennedy and lifting him up as the, quote, lion of the Senate. Jill Filipovic, who is supposed to be a feminist writer, Wrote the following for NBC News. Since Chappaquiddick, Democrats' views of women have evolved. Republicans still need to. The new movie about Teddy Kennedy's involvement in the death of Mary Jo Kopechny highlights the progress women have made in the Democratic Party. This is like the rantings, an and, and end quote there, but this is like the rantings of a crazy person. Uh, th- this makes no sense. This is completely bereft of any intellectual integrity whatsoever. Let me read you a bit from this celebrated feminist writer published by NBC News here as to why this is a situation that shows how the Democrats have progressed since then. This feminist writer puts the following out there, quote, "...the left continues to struggle with how to treat misdeeds by powerful men with whom it is politically aligned." And male misbehavior transcends political ideology. But there's no question Democrats are cleaning house. You can't say the same about the American right. Our current president has been accused of sexual misconduct and assault nearly two dozen times and has openly bragged about grabbing women's genitals without consent. End quote. Here we go. Teddy Kennedy killed a woman. The Democrats covered for what was an involuntary manslaughter case, elevated that scum for decades, and now that the truth can finally come out because it doesn't matter all that much anymore, you know what the lesson the so-called feminist left wants us to take from all this? You know, Trump is bad and stuff. Democrats have gotten better about this. Democrats wouldn't do this today. You mean, like, Democrats wouldn't rally around, say a president who was accused of sexual harassment, sexual assault, even rape for eight years, they wouldn't rally around him? Because I'm pretty sure we all know how that went. His name was Bill Clinton. They have absolutely no compunction about selling out whatever principles they pretend to have and to watch the feminist left contort themselves into some... Some version of Democrats are actually not as bad as Republicans after Chappaquiddick comes out. It's just pathetic. It is pathetic. But go see Chappaquiddick. We'll be right back.
0: Hey, Team Buck, it's time for roll call.
1: I had to use that one because I didn't want you all to have a case of the Mondays.
3: When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No.
1: No, man. Ah, office space. Never gets old. Really just ages well like a fine wine. Speaking of fine wines, we have quite a collection in the Team Buck Cave here of your thoughts. Not the smoothest transition ever, but uh, let's go with it. First up, we have Heather, who writes, In reference to Frankenstein, Intelligence is knowing that Frankenstein is the doctor. Wisdom is knowing that Frankenstein is the monster. Hmm. Ah. All right, then, Heather. Thank you for sharing. Uh Uh-oh, I'm getting lit up here on the Royals by a number of people. Timothy writes, Buck Shields High, I enjoyed your April 6th podcast, including your monologue on the British Royals. Irrespective of their prior place in history, the monarchy provides a system of stability for the United Kingdom since the British Constitution is unwritten. King George VI, Elizabeth II, Prince Charles, Prince William, and Prince Harry have all served in the military. King George VI served in the Battle of Yutland in World War I. Prince Harry has served multiple combat tours in Afghanistan and also served with the uh, ASAS. Is that, okay, Prince William was a SAR helicopter pilot and has rescued multiple people at sea. He was prevented from serving in Iraq or Afghanistan since he second in line for the throne. Whatever your view of the previous royals, Prince William and Harry definitely deserve respect for their military service. Whether the royal family should be a taxpayer-supported thing is a different conversation. I believe a large portion of their wealth is derived from the Duchy of Lancaster. However, I could be mistaken. Excellent show, as always. Shields high. Yeah, Tim, I... I completely respect the service of some of the younger uh, royals uh, for the UK are very, very close and dear ally for the UK military. I I wasn't talking about that, though. I was just talking about the notion of the monarchy as something that we still have in a country as advanced and developed as the United Kingdom. Um, But I, I hear you and I appreciate you writing in. Next up is Patrick, who writes, Buck, I wanted to add to the illegal immigration debate. If you ever want to know just how bad illegal immigrants tax our public safety system, just ask any field medic or EMT. I've been an EMS for 26 years working in the city of New Britain, Connecticut. Our service is constantly getting decimated, transporting illegals to the emergency room for truly unbelievable reasons, ranging from headaches, coughs, medication seeking and unlicensed DUI or DWI accidents. Real patients with true medical emergencies are forced to wait for available transport units because we are constantly transporting repeat offenders on a daily basis. This not only costs taxpayers millions of dollars every year in unnecessary billing, it affects our ability to fund and properly staff much needed ambulances, not to mention the unnecessary cost of an emergency department visit. It is truly a health care crisis at epidemic levels. Shields high, Patrick. Uh, Well, Patrick, I thank you for that perspective. And I think people need to hear more of that. And I completely agree. I think I told you all that about a year, it was almost exactly a year ago, I had an eye emergency. I had to have an eye surgery, actually. And I was was really desperate to get some some help for it. And I went to the uh, eye hospital here in New York City. There's one hospital. It's open 24-7 that specializes in eye, ear, nose, throat, I think. And I, I got there, and I was appalled. I mean, this is something that anybody who wants to talk about illegal immigration should have to go through this experience. They should really have to deal with this. I showed up, and there were a whole lot of people who do not speak any English, which is fine, but also were there for completely non-emergency needs in the emergency room. So you had a lot of people who were there. Now, people would say, Buck, how do you know if they're illegals? because I talked to one of the nurses there and I said, so what's going on here? She says, well, you know, we have to treat everyone who comes in and we have a lot of people who are undocumented and this is what they use as their primary care. So I said, well, here I am with an actual eye emergency at the eye hospital and you're telling me that I have to wait six or seven hours before I can see a specialist so that people who aren't even supposed to be in the country in the first place here in New York City can get Tests for eyeglasses that they're not going to pay for, by the way, right? Tests for their vision. Basic routine medical care for, you know, eye, ears, nose, throat. And the answer was yes. The answer was yes. You, you who needs to have surgery on your eye, and I did end up having surgery on my eye, by the way. I just had to wait and deal with it. Uh, You get to sit and just be quiet about the fact that we are running a taxpayer-funded first line of medical service clinic here for a whole lot of people who are not supposed to be in the country. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm not supposed to be annoyed by that, but you know what? I am. I still am. It still really, really bothered me. It's not right. And I just can't imagine if I had been there with, like, a ch- my own child, and rushing to the eye hospital and being told to fill out a clipboard and wait for six hours so that people can do A, E, F, D off a board, I would lose my mind. All right, on a happy note, next up here we have Katerina. Cool name, always like that name. Buck, you are correct as usual. Chocolate and coffee are very awesome. Have you ever tried Nutella, an Italian hazelnut chocolate spread? It's delicious. And yes, Italian-Americans do have a good sense of humor. Also, if possible, it would be great if you came to visit Central Florida. Keep up the good work. Yours, Katerina. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Cat. May I call you Cat? I I agree with you on chocolate and coffee being awesome. Uh, Also, as to Nutella, I love it. But I have a weakness. I mean, I have a problem. If I actually get Nutella... Which, for those of you who haven't tried it, by the way, I, I dare you. It may be among the most delicious things on planet Earth. I mean, it's up there with perfectly cooked, thick, but crispy on the outside bacon. I, I, you can call me crazy, but it is that level of deliciousness. Uh, my problem with Nutella is that I end up getting a whole canister of it. You know, get a whole jar of Nutella, and it disappears very quickly. And I find myself looking for excuses to put it on things that really don't go with a chocolate hazelnut spread, but I do it anyway. So all of a sudden I find myself uh, just, you know, putting it on any vegetables I happen to have in the fridge. I know I get weird. No, no, I admit it. I- I'm weird. I- I've i got a problem when it comes to Nutella. So I have to keep it out of my house because I- I'm I'm just gonna- I'm just going to come clean here. I may have. I may have saved some gluten-free pizza crusts and then the next day just sat there watching Netflix and scooped out big heaping clumps of delicious Nutella on pizza crust was there still some cheese and residual tomato sauce on those crusts oh oh yes my friends there was was there any shame in that game perhaps some but it was delicious delicious Great to hear from you, Kat. All right, next up, we've got Seth, who writes, The new Roll Call intros this week have been great. Rock and roll and harmonica dubstep. As always, the show is killer. Looking forward to the next podcast. Well, Seth, I put in all the effort, the work, the thought, the blood, sweat, and tears for you and all the folks out there like you who are so kind as to download the show or listen to it live uh, just to be a part of... What we do here in the Freedom Hut really means a lot. And thank you for the kind words. And I can promise you we're working on even more fun production elements and cool stuff to work into the show. So all that is coming up. Uh, Next up, we have Hector writes, good afternoon, Mr. Sexton. I first heard you filling in for Rush Limbaugh, and I've been a listener to you ever since. You're one of the top three radio talk show hosts I listen to, Rush, Mark Levin, and Buck Sexton. While on the topic of listening, I was wondering, uh, when I was listening to your Friday podcast, you mentioned completing your reading of Mary Shelley's novel Frankenstein and have you, how you're curious why the Frankenstein she depicted in the novel is not the same as the Frankenstein typically depicted on the big screen. I write typically because I think Showtime series Penny Dreadful was faithful in depicting Frankenstein. Similarly, if not in the same manner Mary Shelley depicted him. Uh, Last but not least, Shields High. Well, Hector, thank you so much for the very kind note. And you are completely correct, by the way. The Frankenstein in Penny Dreadful is way more accurate a depiction of the Frankenstein in the actual, or the, the monster, the demon. Remember, Frankenstein's the doctor in the novel. And I would just note that, as I assumed, the reason we think of Frankenstein a certain way today is because of the... Uh, 1931 film adaptation by universal pictures uh, that became wildly popular of a doctor who using electricity brings a monster to life was a murderer's brain. That's where we get it's from the movie adaptation from the 1930s. That's why we think of Frankenstein that way. Uh, so there you have it. Uh, a nice follow up uh, team. That's going to be it today in the Freedom Hunt. Thank you as always for hanging out. Excited to be with you every day this week. Uh, Please do spread the word and also give one of our wonderful sponsors a shot. If you have not already, you know who they are. Please do always type in the code. It lets them know that you learned about them and you support them because of this show. I've already got a bunch of things to talk to you about for tomorrow, so I'm excited for that. Until next time, my friends, you know what our rallying cry is. You know how we roll. No matter what comes your way, shields high.